Ciao bella, cinephiles, cinefreaks, and cinemaniacs. Welcome to the season one finale of Cinema Smackdown. My name is Greg. And I'm Tyler. And we're obsessed with movies. We're so obsessed we made a podcast about it. Capiche? We take two similar movies and pit them against each other in a fight for ultimate, ultimate glory. Two films enter and two films leave. But in the meantime, we'll desperately try to answer the question, which one's better? And today, we're gonna make you an episode you can't refuse. <laughs> it's protecting the family versus losing the family. Old Sicilian corruption versus new American capitalism. The rise and fall of Don Vito Corleone versus the rise and fall of Don Michael Corleone. That's right, it's The Godfather versus The Godfather Part 2. Season 1 finale. We made it! So we've said before that it's hard to pick between these two movies in a given episode. Never has that been more true than today. Greg? Tyler? Greg. Tyler? I just want to say, this is the hardest battle we've had all season. This is pretty much the original movie debate. It's the reason why things like Cinema Smackdown exist. Yes! It's because of you, Godfather, and Godfather Part 2. So, let's start at the beginning, a very fine place to start. Tell me about The Godfather. Ah, oh, you want to know about The Godfather? The aging patriarch of an organized crime dynasty transfers control of his clandestine empire to his reluctant son. Now that sounds like a movie I want to see. Yeah, man, that sounds intense. Uh, one fact that I found interesting, Marlon Brando did not memorize his lines. Oh, yeah, this is classic Brando. Classic Brando, man. He had cue cards set up, uh, especially during the scene with Bolsonaro. Mm-hmm. Right? That's his name, Bolsonaro? Is that the Brazilian president, the dictator guy, Bolsonaro? Yeah, I, I think, yeah he plays the... The Brazilian president, Bolsonaro, yeah. is the undertaker. No, it is yeah. something like that, Bolson... Bo- Bonacera. 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 We'll call him Bolsonaro. During that scene, Marlon Brando had cue cards set up all over the place. He said he felt like doing a cold open type of reading for the cameras because it was authentic. You got that very unpracticed take. It was the best way to get that authentic performance. And as I'm saying this, I just want to roll my eyes throughout my head. I can see your eyes rolling. I'm just like, are you okay? They're all the way back. Oh my God, I can't, I can't get them back. (laughs) That's not how humans interact throughout the world. We're not reading cards when we have thoughts that pop into our head. So it's actually the worst process an actor could have. And it blows my mind because he is a stage actor. He originated Streetcar Named Desire. Was a stage actor. Was. At this point in his career, I mean, obviously now everything is was. Yeah, rest he's, in peace. he's a dead man. But even at the time, he was long separated from the Brando of the 40s and 50s. Another interesting fact is that Orson Welles lobbied to get the part of Don Corleone. He wanted it so Mm. badly that he agreed to lose weight. But Coppola had already had Marlon Brando in mind and had to turn down his hero, Orson Welles, for the role. 
to me, the only person in cinema history that is more legendary and iconic than Brando is Orson Welles. Is Orson Welles. I could totally see him playing Vito. Yeah, I mean, you don't see anyone else playing Vito Corleone other than Marlon Brando. But I think if Orson Welles was in that part, you would say the same thing. Totally. I don't see anyone playing Vito Corleone other than Orson Welles. And he may have been more dedicated because losing weight for a role is famously something Brando was not willing to do. Yeah. So let's talk about the movie that comes next, which is both a sequel and a prequel. Wait, what? To The Godfather Part 1. In Godfather Part 2, we see a young Vito Corleone journey from his Sicilian village to a criminal rise to power in 1920s New York. We're also seeing Michael Corleone's story in the 50s as he attempts to expand his criminal empire and keep his family intact. There is so much happening there. There is a lot. This movie, like I said, it's a prequel and a sequel. Yeah. So some facts about The Godfather Part 2. Let's focus on that end part of the title, Part 2. Two. Mm-hmm. This blew my mind. Before The Godfather Part Two, movie sequels didn't have numbers in the title. Before this, we had, you know, think of the James Bond series. You'd go from Dr. No to From Russia with Love. It was a totally different title. Wow. The reason for that is because studios didn't want people to think they were being sold the same product twice. Uh, Which is so funny to me because that's exactly how studios make their money now is by reselling Star Wars, Marvel property. It better be called the Avengers something. Every sequel now has a number after it, pretty much. I mean, there are exceptions. Sometimes you have trends where, you know, Avengers Endgame, Avengers Infinity War, where there's not exactly a number, but it's still within a franchise with Iron Man 2, 3, 4. And right after Godfather, we see an explosion of Rocky 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Jaws 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) Star Wars, you know? Episode Mm -hmm. 4, Episode 5, Episode 6. Because those franchises started pretty soon after Godfather, they go with the Roman numerals specifically because Godfather 2 not only popularized the numbers, it popularized Roman numerals for a while. It's classier. I think it's classier. Forget about it. Aye, aye. The Godfather part, aye, aye. The Godfather part, aye, aye. (laughs) So this next fact focuses on Robert De Niro, who is fantastic in this movie. This is one of his best roles ever. So Robert De Niro spent four months of his life learning to speak Sicilian. And then after that, he spent another three months living in Sicily to prepare for this role. Oh, God, so terrible. I mean, yeah. no, I have to live in Sicily for three months. But it also, I mean, that is incredible dedication. And Robert De Niro barely speaks English in this whole movie. I think maybe like five or six lines he speaks English. Yeah. That just shows you how great of an actor Robert De Niro is, is that he could take on this iconic character and make it his own. And win an Oscar? Yeah. He won an Oscar for this. Brando can't even learn his lines in English. De Niro's out there learning his lines in Sicilian. It's impressive. Yeah. So now we have to get to the hard part. We have to talk about... This is like... Which one's better? I swear Sophie had an easier choice than this. (laughs) This is why we get paid the big bucks here, because we have to make the tough decisions, damn it. We will make this decision. Okay, so... I'm just going to start by talking about things that I love, things that just really jump out at me. Yeah. Number one, let's start at the beginning, that opening zoom out shot of The Undertaker pleading with Don Corleone and that speech, I believe in America, but America has failed me, essentially. That's a huge paraphrase of like a three minute monologue. I mean, just that wedding sequence alone, it feels less mafia and more just the Italian-American family. I'm rewatching it. I've seen this movie many, many times. 
I find the beginning a little boring. The wedding right? scene? The wedding scene. I think that that drags on a little too much. Uh, Maybe the exposition is a little bit there. Uh, Again, like, you know. Tyler, you're breaking my heart. I've seen the movie so many times. A couple of times I felt, uh, this drags a little bit. Tyler, I never wanted this for you. Uh, I never wanted you to dislike a scene in The Godfather. Hey! <laughs> I'm telling you! It The juxtaposition of Don Vito in his chamber while we're also seeing the happy connection of the family and how every family member plays their role, who they are in this family and in this organization. I just think it's a little boring. I think maybe that's because you already know these characters so well. You've seen these movies a handful of times. That sequence is designed for people who are brand new to this world and these characters and need the setup. You don't need the setup. You could skip the first 40 minutes of the movie and not miss much plot-wise. And I don't remember the first time I saw this movie. I think I was young uh, when I saw this movie the, for the first time. While I say that it's it's a little boring to me, and I agree that it's probably because I, I know these characters in and out. So... Yes, I think the the opening sequence where you need that exposition for these characters is a little boring. However, it is masterfully shot. Yeah. I mean, you have the scenes with the Don very intimate, very medium shot, which means it's at like your nipples above. Titties and up. Titties and up. Yeah. yeah. And then you have... Classic Hollywood jargon. Classic. All right, everybody, we're going to shoot this one titties and up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then you have the scenes outside of Don's office, and they're very much like a point of view of a spectator of the family. They're very much like, I'm a party goer at this party. Yeah. It's only until we get to Michael that it gets back to the intimate shot. And that's just, that's so masterful that he says, okay, you have intimate with Don Corleone, and then you have intimate with Michael, which is where we're headed. Yeah, every second, every moment in this whole opening sequence is perfect. The way it's shot, the way it's written, the lighting. Let's talk about the lighting for a second in both these movies. The Prince of Darkness, Gordon Willis. Gordon Willis. The cinematographer. Never before had it been done like this. Yeah, movies were always very brightly lit, specifically Mm -hmm. because they wanted people to be able to see it in the drive-in when it's dark. I think he was the first person to go, hey, what if we add like mood and tone? to the lighting of this film and shadows and shadows and darkness and, and kind of even in we're going to talk about that first sequence again you know bolsonaro he's he looks almost like a skull yeah in that you can't see his eyes very well in the lighting same with brando and brando as well yeah. and it's just like it's you can see that this is shady for lack of a better word yeah um it's the perfect word and it's perfect because it's so bright outside I think a lot of us, when we watch The Godfather now, we take for granted that it's lit so dark and how shadowy it is because so many movies now are like that in TV shows. I mean, mm-hmm. if you watch Ozark now, it is so dark and just has like a blue Broody. filter on it. Yeah. This movie is, it's not a blue filter, but it's like a sepia tone filter on this movie, both these movies. It's just really what it made what, it look beautiful. It's what puts this movie over the edge. It's what makes it special and unique. It feels almost like you're at a, an Italian dinner and the lights are really dim. Yeah. Like that's how it feels watching the movie, watching both these movies. It feels very like dim lighting, like you're at a very fancy restaurant yeah. kind of mentality. That's a great comparison. I hadn't thought of that. It really does feel like you're at a, an intimate 
dimly lit Italian restaurant yeah. that's lit by candlelight mm-hmm. on one one table. Everything that Vito's doing is always busy. It's, there's always something going on. There's always kids in the background. There's a street parade happening. There's always something happening. Yeah. And Michael's scenes are always super quiet. Yeah, He's right. very calm and collected. He's the epitome of stillness, Al Pacino, yeah. in mm-hmm. this role. He is such contained rage, which is fascinating to me now because when I think of current day Pacino... I think of completely uncontained rage to the point where she's got like, a great ass. Yeah, he's so yelling. And your head is all the way up it. And that's what's great about these movies is he barely yells, and when he does, it's such a powerful moment because of how how well he's been containing that rage. And you see it bubbling under the surface in a horrifying way. Oh my god! Throughout both movies, but you still don't see it explode until that you know. A few I don't moments. think I want to talk about the structure of each of these movies. I think the first one has a very clear structure. Yeah. Um, you have the introduction of the family, everyone there. And then I think once Salazzo is murdered, you have wartime. And then when that's all cleared up and they go to Nevada, that is a very clear third act. Yeah. And I think it's very clear in that movie. Whereas the second movie is a little bit more like it's a very different structure than yeah. what's going on in the first movie. And I think that has a lot to do with whomever is going to say, oh, I like this movie more than this movie. Yeah. It just comes down to storytelling preference because both of these movies are masterfully, beautifully, perfectly told. It just comes down to your preference. Do you like more of a clean, linear storyline that's uh, beginning, middle, end? Or do you like kind of dual narratives that juxtapose each other? Do you want to see Michael's origin story or Vito's origin story? Do you want to see the end of Vito or the downfall of Michael. Michael's journey in the second one is a, a little bit more interesting to me in that we've seen him kind of become this Don. He still seems like he could be a good person, even though he's murdered a couple of people. Yeah. It was for the family. So we're on that side. Whereas the second one, it's not about the family anymore. Yeah. It's about power. At the same time, you have Vito really coming to realize that it's about family. That is so amazing to me that you have these two characters, both are technically terrible people, but one has this mentality of family, one has this mentality of power, and shows you how family helps you rise, power helps you fall. This is what's interesting, is we think of Vito as the good one, of the one that is more honorable and respectable, and Michael as the more power-hungry evil one. However, Michael... Kills Salazzo out of necessity and desperation. It's the only way to save his father and protect the family. It is a necessary move. Whereas the scene that mirrors that in the second one, Vito killing Finucci, there were other ways out of this situation. They wouldn't have led to his rise and he wouldn't have become a Don. But that's a life that it's not a life and death situation for him in that moment. True. I think he takes advantage of the situation that he's put in with Don Finucci and it plays to his benefit. I think Michael is backed up against a wall and has to kill Salasso. Yeah. Um, it's Michael realizing what we learn in the opening monologue. I believe in America, but America has failed me. Yeah. Michael returns as this war hero and he seems happy. He's, his country is proud of him. He's proud of his country. He is a war hero. He believes in America to the point where he actually left the family, abandoned the family to go fight this war against his father's wishes, against his brother's wishes. That as might we have see later. hurt his family. That might have hurt his family. He does it because he believes in America. And yet when he comes home, 
he sees that even when you play the game straight and fair and honestly in the way mm-hmm. that they want me to play it, that I still get fucked over. And that's that's a turning point for him to decide, well, if they aren't going to play by the rules, fuck it. I'm not going to play by the rules. So I really quick want to talk about that scene with Salazzo and how there's no subtitles. Yeah, that, I, love that that. I love that. I love that. It's not important. It's not important what he's saying. He's already made his decision. Yeah. He's killing this person. The camera is so zoomed in on Michael that we are Michael in that situation. It's and Michael's brilliant. just looking around. He's looking around. He's- that whole, from the moment that he had, says he has to go to the bathroom and he goes to retrieve the gun to the moment where he actually goes through with the deed and kills them, feels very Hitchcock to me. It feels like yeah. like Coppola, the suspense of him fumbling with the gun. Is he going to get the gun in time? With McCluskey kind of looking over, like, why is that guy in the bathroom so long? What's going on? And then the fact that we already know Clemenza told Michael to come out firing, but he doesn't. He comes back and he sits at the table. It feels so suspenseful. It feels very Hitchcockian. It is very Hitchcock, yeah. yeah. I mean, the quick cuts from Salazzo to the, the intense eyes of Michael, it does. It feels very Hitchcock. Um, so I would like to talk a little bit more about Godfather part two, and I'm going to start with the fact that the first one does not have a lot of Fredo. Yeah. Fredo is kind of overshadowed by, you've got Sonny, a lot of Tom Hagen in there. Which is how the family treats Fredo. He's always pushed aside. Yeah. He's the, he's the pushed aside of the family. The second one, Fredo kind of gets his moment. Yeah. And John Cazell finally gets a chance to actually do some amazing acting. In the second one. Yeah. I will say that in order for Fredo to be a bigger part of the first one, the character would have to commit a significant act like the betrayal in the second one. And to have an extra storyline like that in The Godfather would have, would have been a little bit too much and yes. muddied it. I'm okay with sacrificing a little bit of one of my favorite characters' screen time in the first one for the sake of... Of just perfect storytelling throughout well, all movies. Instead of Fredo, you get a lot of Sonny and his dealing with Carlo, which yeah. is essentially how Michael ends up betraying the family a yeah. little bit. Yeah. In that he kills Carlo in the end. He he does what Sonny wanted to do, but never yeah. got to do. Yeah. And by the way, we talk about missing Fredo's presence a little bit more in the first one. There are a lot of presences of actors that I do feel I'm missing in the second one. I would like to see a little Brando. Maybe just in that last scene where it's a flashback of Vito's birthday on Pearl Harbor, coincidentally. Yeah. You know, I would like to see an appearance of him. I also feel like I miss Clemenza, who's such a part of the first one and was supposed to be in the second one. But basically, he wanted too much money. He was killed off screen. Making a lot of demands. They Yeah, they killed him with a heart attack off screen. But the fact that all of that plot line of betraying Michael would have happened from Clemenza. It would have been way sadder. It would have been such a more tragic but satisfying part of the story where his mentor, the guy that taught him how to cook spaghetti and commit double homicide. You got to brown the meat. <laughs> yeah. And you got to shoot the gun right when you come out of the bathroom. <laughs> he's the guy. He's also the guy who says, take the gun, leave the cannoli. He's such a big part of he's these movies. He's a great part. And I'm, I'm missing him. I wish he was you in the second You get a little one. bit of Clemenza in the Vito storyline. We get young Clemenza, and I think that would have complemented even better if we had old Clemenza. Clemenza in Michael's yeah. storyline while we saw young Clemenza in Vito's. Yeah, I mean, I to your point about Brando being in the last scene, I actually really like that he's not in that scene. I think it's it would be a little bit of a distraction to what that scene's actually about. And he didn't show up on that day. Yeah. And Coppola had to restage everything that's on that day. That's what's hilarious to me is the reason he's not in that scene is not some big executive decision. It's just Brando being Brando. He just didn't show up to didn't set. Didn't show up. And they called him. They couldn't get a hold of him. He was MIA. Until this day, we don't know what he was doing. He's probably out gambling. I want to be that fucking famous. 
where I can just be like, I'm not going to show up and then I'll have a career still. So you want to have a legendary career and then ruin it? Yeah. I, I mean, would love that. That is kind of the dream, isn't <laughs> can it? I, can I please have that? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think I think that scene is fantastic in that you see, like, Sonny leaves first. He died first. You see Carlo leave. He dies next. Then you see Fredo leave. Yeah. And Michael's left there alone at the end. Yeah. And everyone's greeting Vito. Yeah. And Michael's just sitting there. I know it was staged on that day, but that scene- It's brilliant. Is incredible. It's brilliant. When you watch the first Godfather, you assume there's some big change in Michael that he went from being this good guy, hero, nice guy, war hero to this villainous character. But when we see that final scene with Michael, we see that he's always kind of been that cold, distant, calculating guy. He's always been that. If anything, the army hero guy is the anomaly in his life. That's the exception to the rule. He's always had this displeasure with his family throughout his entire life. And I think that's why in the second one, you see his want for power and not family. Yeah. Whereas Vito has always been about family. He's always been about what will better my family. It's not about that for him. It's about power. I think we see so much of that in a scene in the second one where he, it's, I think the last time we see mama Corleone Mm. by the fireplace, Michael comes up. He basically asks, would dad ever go so far protecting his family that he might lose his family? And she says, you can never lose your family. And his response, the last thing we see him say in that scene is times are changing. I think that really solidifies how sad the second one is. Yeah. The second movie is so sad. And I know you watched both of these movies in like a six... Yeah, Part I, I, watched, I watched these movies and I recommend this actually uh, for viewers that are used to episodic viewings the way we binge watch everything these days. I recommend you watch in six easy installments of one hour apiece or your money back. <laughs> uh, no, you're going to have to pay probably rent these movies. So part two is a little bit more sad. Oh, it's it's definitely than, more sad. Than the first one. You have the abortion scene, which is so sad. Which by the way... Roe v. Wade was one year before this movie came That's out. That's crazy. Roe v. Wade man. happened between Godfather 1 and 2, so this is an extremely hot-button issue, even more than today. It's a, it's a master class in acting and in, in rising anger. Yeah. Um, I think just seeing his lip quiver and his eyes just widen. As soon as she says abortion, he you can see him thinking about what she just said and then just getting more and more and more intense until the hit. Question about that scene. Okay. This occurred to me watching it this time. It's never occurred to me before. Given that, yes, Roe v. Wade happened in 1973 and the movie comes out in 1974, but this scene takes place in the 50s, Mm -hmm. do you think she actually got an abortion? Or do you think she is saying that because it's the sharpest dagger she can plunge into Michael in that moment? Because it would have been very hard logistically for her to get an abortion in 1950-whatever and not have anyone find out about it within the family. Yeah, but people did have secret abortions back then. Wire hangers. Se- secret and- from their parents. But the family the family finds things out. She would have to go to some criminal person and the only criminal people she knows would tell Michael. I mean, that is a, I mean, that's a good question. It could be something to just jab at him or it could have actually happened. I think it actually happened and I don't think Tom Hagen knew. I think he was too distracted by other things. I don't think it's possible for no one to know. Even if Tom Hagen didn't know, the person below him or the person below that guy would 
Kay is being watched. She's being followed. There's no privacy in but her Tom world. Tom Hagen's a little bit of a pushover. So maybe Kay wanted to leave one day and Tom Hagen finally gave her, yeah, that's fine. Just don't tell Michael kind of situation. Hmm. Real quick, I want to talk about Lee, Lee Strasberg because okay. I've seen these movies a bunch. I didn't realize until I rewatched a couple years ago that Hyman Roth, the big bad gangster from Miami in the second one, is legendary acting teacher, someone whose method we learned quite yep. a bit mm-hmm. in, in acting school, Yeah, Lee Strasberg himself. That blows my mind. Yeah, and he's brilliant in that movie as Hyman Roth. And very shirtless. So shirtless. He's like... It's, it's a power play, though. It's a power play. It's also sensual and sexy. God he, he damn, is, Just uh, throw some oil on that man. Mm, Lee Strasberg, more like Lee Sexberg, am I right? Ooh, Ooh snap. I'll take his method anytime. All right. <laughs> yes, Daddy. That's, that's enough. And he was nervous to do this movie. It's his first movie. He had never done a movie before? Never done a movie. That's yeah. crazy. He was busy teaching the likes of Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. How about that turn, though, with Mo Green? Yeah, well, yeah. when he reveals that he... reveals he, that he knew Mo Green. That was his protege. Yeah. It's so hard. Well, let's compare this. The, so many scenes mirror each other that we can just go through. Wedding scene versus... The communion scene. I, I like say the, the communion better. scene is a little bit more forgettable. Now, the Salazzo killing versus the Fenucci killing. Those Finucci. two. See, for me, I go Salazzo. Oh, my God. Fin- With, the the Fenucci scene is so amazingly staged and well lit. They both are. They're perfect. And I like seeing Michael pinned up against the wall making this decision while the train tracks sound. I mean, both. We have the fireworks escalating. But in, Vito in walking scene. across the ledge of the, the building. Yeah, tracking his prey. My God, it's incredible. He kind of reminds me of like an Industrial Revolution Spider-Man when he's along yeah, those rooftops yeah, or like a daredevil. I love it. I'm like, this is cool. <laughs> so let's again go through. Wedding scene versus communion. Do we both go wedding over yeah, communion? Yeah, both wedding scene. Salazzo killing versus Fenucci killing. Fenucci. Yeah, I go Salazzo. Um, and then let's talk about the final moments of each movie. We have the door closing on Kay as Michael is kind of worshipped as the new godfather at the end of The Godfather. Feels, a- And then we have the epilogue scene of the whole family getting together and getting a sense of their family dynamic at the end of Godfather 2. This is a tough one. You already know how I feel about that yeah. last scene in Godfather Part 2. The end scene in the first one feels a little cliffhangery. To me. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I feel like when they close the door, like, oh, I want to see more of Michael as as the Don. I want to know what's going to happen to Michael. I feel like I want to know more, but it also feels like such a finite ending. Like, if they didn't make a sequel, which, again, would be awful for the history of cinema if there wasn't a Godfather Part Two. But if they never made another Godfather, it does feel like a complete story to me. It feels like it has an ending. I'm not saying that it doesn't feel complete. I'm just saying it feels like that last moment you're left wanting more. And that's not a bad thing. You're just left wanting more of what's going to happen to Michael. I might. It's interesting. I think we've got a split decision because I think... We both agree wedding is, is above the, the communion, <laughs> but then we disagree on Fenucci versus Lazzo. But then I do agree with you that Michael alone with nobody around him mirrors the end of the first one where he's surrounded by people. We see, you know, his sense of power and belonging diminished by the end of the second one to a sense of isolation and loneliness. Oh, God, it's so perfect. These movies. What about this? What about this? The death of Sonny or the death of Fredo? Oh, death of Fredo all the way. Fredo, there's just so much more of a buildup, too. True. Like, Sonny's a hothead, so he... Comes out of nowhere. He, yeah, because he acts out of nowhere. Sonny just is impulsive and quick, so his death comes impulsively and quick. Fredo is this sweetheart that you love that has acted He's horribly. Just He's just weak. That, that, you know, just felt so ignored and passed over, he literally says it, that he... 
He almost died of pneumonia he at caved, five months. He caved into pressure and did a bad thing, a very bad thing. But then, yeah, his death. I mean, I don't know anyone who would say that Fredo's death doesn't tug at your heartstrings as much as Sonny's, if not more. So, yeah, we have... Well, we haven't made a decision. We have to do not this made now. made a decision. Okay. okay. I, just for the sake of consistency, it's been hinted at, I'm going to go Godfather 1, but I need you to know that there's nothing I dislike about Godfather 2. <laughs> and I think in another episode, I said that... Can it be I a think, tie? I think it was, yeah, I asked for a tie, and then I came down to Vertigo versus Psycho. I gave Vertigo a 99.9 yep. and Psycho a 99.8. This one, add a couple more decimal points there, where it's 99.9 versus 99.899999999. Like, it is so close. Is it... Obviously, you're hearing from me. I think that Godfather 2 is barely above Godfather. Yeah. In that I enjoyed Vito's storyline in Godfather Part 2 more. I, I kind of just like Robert De Niro a little bit more than Marlon Brando. I am just that much. I'm very interested in both of them, but I'm just a hair more interested in the rise of Michael and the storytelling of a seemingly good man's fall from grace. I'm going Godfather 1, you go Godfather 2. No one can agree on and this. And I almost wouldn't want it any other way. I almost wouldn't want us agreeing on this because this is the ultimate debate and it should remain a debate so that you and I forever and always will always debate the merits of Godfather 1 versus Godfather 2, although not that strongly because we both agree these movies are both perfect. Obviously, we have some opinions on these movies. Lots of them. Lots of opinions. On all the movies. But we want to hear what you guys think. Instagram us or tweet us at Cinema Smackdown Pod and tell us what you think. And tell us what you think about any of these movies. Yeah. Please feel free to weigh in on any of the discussions we've had if you feel strongly one way or the other. We also um, want to thank you guys for listening to all of season one. Thank yeah. you for being so supportive of this and indie podcasts in general. Yeah. And uh, we're going to talk to you in season two. Can't wait. Oh, boy. Till next time. I'm Greg. And I'm Tyler. Bye. Bye. In Napoli, where love is king, when boy meets girl, here's what they say. When the moon hits your eye like a bigger pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. Bells will ring, tingle-ling-a-ling, tingle-ling-a-ling, and you'll sing Vita Bella. Hearts will play tippy tippy tay tippy tippy tay like a guitar and When the stars make you drool, just like a pastefas, oh, that's amore. When you dance down the street with a cloud at your feet, you're in love. When you walk in a dream, but you know you're not dreaming, signore. Excuse me, but you see, back in old Napoli, that's more.
forever. When the world seems to shine like you had too much wine, that's amore. That's amore. Bells will ring. Ding a ling a ling. Ding a ling a ling. And you sing Vita Bella. Vita Bella. Vita Bella. Hearts will play. Like a guitarella, lucky fella. When the stars make you drool, just like pasta fazul, that's amore. That's amore. When you dance down the street with the cloud at your feet, you're in love. When you walk. In a dream, but you know you're not dreaming, Signore. Excuse me, but you see, back in old night.